We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Episode 343 of the Al Galdi Podcast. It is Friday, June 24th, 2022. It is the day after the 2022 NBA Draft. Johnny Davis and Yannick Zosa. Uh, Those are your two Wizards selections in the 2022 NBA Draft. The Wizards on Thursday night did not make a trade. Uh, They stayed put and they took Johnny Davis in the first round and Yannick Zosa in the second round. Uh, Johnny Davis, that is a plain Jane name. And Johnny Davis, I feel like that is a plain Jane pick. Yeah, The name is fitting given that this is not a draft choice that's going to get a lot of people excited. But Johnny Davis can help the Wizards. I mean, is there massive upside? Probably not. But can he make the Wizards better? Yeah, I think that he can do that. Hello and welcome to a Friday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. Much more on what the Wizards did on draft night later in the show. Special guest on the show, Commander's Insider Ben Standig of The Athletic. Uh, For the first of two appearances on the podcast over the next week or so, uh, as we are talking Commander's football. Yes, actual Commander's football. No Dan Snyder talk, No talk about Congress, no talk about subpoenas, just football talk. And on this installment of the podcast, Ben and I will go in-depth on the Commander's offense as we are in the midst of the Commander's offseason break prior to the start of training camp on July 27th. We'll discuss the Terry McLaurin situation, uh, whether there will be a competition for QB2. We know that there won't be a competition for QB1, but what about QB2? Uh, we'll get into the standing out of Jahan Dodson during offseason practices. We will explore whether the commander's offense is about to bust out this coming season. Uh, and we'll talk about many other items. Ben Standing is coming up in a bit. Uh, next segment, I will hit on some additional thoughts off everything that went down for the commanders with Congress on Wednesday, including multiple... Dan Snyder stories that need to be heard to be believed. Uh, Congress on Wednesday morning, prior to the hearing, released a treasure trove of materials in the workplace misconduct scandal. I will relate to you multiple Dan Snyder stories 
that you got to hear and that truly capture how ridiculous, how maddeningly ridiculous he has been as an NFL owner. Uh, and I later in the show, we'll talk Orioles. Uh, they on Thursday night won again, a 4 nothing win at the Chicago White Sox. You know, the O's now have won eight of their last 12 games. There is a lot to like with what's happening with the O's this season. A number of young Orioles players had good games on Thursday night, including Adley Rutschman. The phenom, the wonderkind, finally, is getting going here. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Tweets still pouring in about Wednesday's congressional hearing on the commander's workplace misconduct scandal and Dan Snyder. Tweet from Andrew on our representatives in Congress, not always adhering to the topic at hand at the hearing, writes Andrew. They can talk about whatever they want as long as they lock that rat bastard up (laughs) for a long time. Uh, thank you for that tweet, Andrew. I'm assuming that the rat bastard is Dan Snyder. Uh, tweet from Tom Weaver. Would love to see Dan gone, but the courts are supposed to punish crimes. Congress is not. Tweet from Commander Obvious. I'm not going to defend Snyder, but changes in the organization have been made, and this entire dog and pony show is just grandstanding, in my opinion. A tweet from Edge. You think Dan is playing this on his yacht in France? In November, the Republicans will be back. And Edge attaches to his tweet a photo of his phone playing the great Wyclef Jean song, Gone Till November. Uh, Great song, Edge. Yeah, maybe Danny will just be at sea on his super yacht until November, until the completion of the midterm elections. Who the heck knows? Uh, Email from Brent in Northeast D.C. on what went down on Wednesday, the congressional hearing on the commander's workplace misconduct scandal, a hearing that, of course, featured Roger Goodell, but did not feature Dan Snyder. Writes Brent, let me start by saying, I don't watch many congressional hearings. My wife and son are away this week, so I had all of the time that I needed on Wednesday evening to review this congressional hearing on the commanders. With this time on my hands, I watched dot, 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 the whole darn thing. Brent. What were you thinking, man? Continues Brent. My thoughts. Number one, lots and lots of grandstanding, lots of lecturing, partisan one-liners, not lots of real pointed, researched, relevant questions that Commissioner Goodell's opening statement didn't already address. Number two, these are our best elected representatives for this. Danny's never going to be ousted. I come away from this testimony impressed by Roger Goodell. The congressmen and congresswomen who were in the room seemed to have agendas, but at least made sense. The ones who attended and read their pieces via Zoom, I mean, did these people prepare for this? Did they listen to Goodell's opening statement? Representative Brown from Ohio literally sounded and looked like she was reading chapter seven in front of an English class because the teacher told her to. Representative Tlaib from Michigan was just plain rude and loud talking over Roger. Her question is important enough to ask during a congressional hearing, but she can't figure out how to to take 30 seconds to learn how to pronounce La Femina. Don't get me started on Representative Grothman from Wisconsin asking Goodell about his salary. What a dog and pony show this thing was. Number three, 
There was one point at which what was played was a clip of Larry Michael's voice. And here is my tangent. I don't support Larry's off-the-field shortcomings, but I miss the voice of the Redskins, Larry Michael. His voice reminds me of a time when we didn't have the team name and attendance of a 1AA team. Yes, that's now FCS, by the way, Brent. Continues, Brent. Sonny Sam and Larry was a good transition after Sonny Sam and Frank. The Eagles have Merrill Reese. The Giants have Bob Papa. The Cowboys have Brad Sham and Babe Laufenberg. Boy, oh boy, I hope London Fletcher can bring something special to Bram, Julie, and our playmaker, parentheses, since when, D'Angelo Hall. Uh, thank you for the email, Brent. Uh, not sure if you know this, but D'Angelo Hall is out. Uh, London Fletcher is replacing D'Angelo Hall on the Commander's radio broadcast team. D. Hall apparently not a big fan of what's going on with the Commanders right now. I'm not sure if him leaving truly was his call or not, but D. Hall is out, and he has since voiced some displeasure with what's going on with the Commanders. Uh, So yeah, the congressional hearing on Wednesday was a show, was a total show. Most of these congressional hearings are shows. As I noted on Thursday's installment of the podcast, episode 342, the hearing ended up including commentary on, questions about, and or references to a number of things having little to nothing to do with the commander's workplace misconduct scandal. We heard about Deflategate. We heard about Jack Del Rio. We heard about Dave Portnoy of Barstool Sports. We heard about concussions. We heard about inflation. We heard about racism. We heard about policing. We heard about immigration. We heard about the fentanyl crisis. We heard about the baby formula crisis. We heard about a tampon crisis that I didn't even know that we had. I'm not saying that all of these things are irrelevant, meaningless topics. Of course, those things aren't all irrelevant, meaningless topics. But the point is, the hearing was about the commander's workplace misconduct scandal. Whether you think that the hearing should have ever taken place is irrelevant. That's what the hearing was about. And that all of these other things came up was just wild, man. I mean, I love our country, okay? I get that no system of government is perfect. But boy, if you have ever wondered why Congress has such a low approval rating, and has for years. This hearing on Wednesday uh, was a good window into why. And, you know, I've gotten lectured, too, by a few people on Twitter for not calling out the Republicans for turning Wednesday's hearing into a show. Hey, look, the Republicans made the hearing on Wednesday a show more than the Democrats did. That's true. But generally speaking, both sides do this at congressional hearings, okay? I mean, try for 30 seconds not to be blindly loyal to your side, okay? To your team. I know it's hard, but try. Put on your big boy pants and try. Each side plays these games, and I think that these games are what turn so many people off to Congress. Uh, As far as Larry Michael goes, uh, well, his broadcasting career is over, okay? Now, the career already was over, but his career now is over, over. That clip, whatever you think about it, is a career killer. You know what's interesting about the Larry Michael situation, by the way? Uh, What I heard a few weeks ago, believe it or not, was that Larry was working for Joe Gibbs's Youth for Tomorrow organization. Uh, Now, I can't say that that was definitely true, but that was the word. Uh, Larry and Joe had a good relationship when Joe was Redskins president and head coach in that second go-around for Joe with the Skins, 2004 through 2007. What do you think that Coach Joe thinks about everything with the commanders right now. There's no way that Coach Joe is laughing about all of this, is there? (laughs) Yeah, the classic Joe Gibbs laugh. Uh, I would think that Joe Gibbs probably isn't laughing about everything happening with the commanders uh, right now. Well, what also isn't a laughing matter 
is buying a home in the Washington, D.C. area. Uh, The D.C. area is a very good area, but it also is a very competitive area in terms of real estate. And so buying a home in the D.C. area these days is tricky. And so if you are wanting to buy a home in the D.C. area, you will do well by going with Kell, as in Kellen Hunt, as your real estate agent. Visit closeitwithkell.com. That's closeitwithkell, K-E-L-L.com. Book a call with Kellen Hunt to discuss your real estate needs and make sure that you tell Kel that Al Galdi sent you. The competition for homes in the D.C. area right now is extreme. High demand coupled with low inventory. That can be a tough combination. And so homes in the D.C. area are going under contract quickly after those homes are listed. And when I say the D.C. area, I mean in a variety of places in the D.C. area, Maryland, Virginia, Washington, D.C. The real estate market throughout the area is hot. How do you make sure that you get the home that you want and deserve? What's the right strategy? Well, this is where Kellen Hunt comes in. Kellen Hunt has a mastery of the Washington, D.C. area real estate market. But Kellen Hunt is not just some know-it-all. He is here for you, to listen to you, to hear what you want, and then determine the best way of going about getting what you want. If you're wanting to buy a home in the D.C. area, you need a smart realtor to ensure that your offer is the offer that wins. Put Kellen Hunt to work for you. His website says it all. Closeitwithkell.com. Kellen Hunt is a closer and Kellen Hunt is willing to put a portion of his commission back in your pocket. Yes, you the buyer get a piece of the action. Kellen Hunt knows what buyers like you are facing and he wants to help. So visit closeitwithkell.com. That's closeitwithkell, K-E-L-L.com. Book a call with Kellen Hunt to discuss your real estate needs and make sure that you tell Kell that Al Galdi sent you. Visit closeitwithkell.com. Book your introductory call with Kellen Hunt at closeitwithkell.com. If you are trying to buy a home in the Washington, D.C. area, you will do well by going with Kell. Visit closeitwithkell.com and make sure that you tell Kell that Al Galdi sent you. Well, there has been so much that has come out and or happened this week regarding the commander's workplace misconduct scandal that stuff has been bound to get lost in the shuffle. Time will tell what ultimately ends up being truly significant from this week. But something that I do think could lead to a whole lot more of something is what Congress's House Committee on Oversight and Reform put out on Wednesday morning, hours before the start of the congressional hearing on the commander's workplace misconduct scandal. The committee on Wednesday morning before the start of the hearing released a 29-page memorandum and four full transcripts of interviews that had been conducted in Congress's investigation into the commander's workplace misconduct scandal. There is a lot to go through. There is a lot to take in. There's a lot, especially in these transcripts, that could lead to more reports and more exposés and more who knows what else. I mean, uh, the Washington Post had to have been licking its lips on Wednesday morning when the committee released all of these materials. Well, one of the transcripts that was released on Wednesday morning was a transcript of the deposition of a guy named David Pawkin. Uh, It's important to understand who David Pawkin is. David Pawkin worked for Dan Snyder for years. David Pawkin was the chief accounting officer for Snyder Communications Incorporated from 1996 to 2000. David Pawkin then was chief operating officer for the Redskins from 2001 
to 2006. The stories told by David Pawkin in his deposition are some whoppers, man. Uh, the one that stood out to me the most, the milk story. And the milk story gained a lot of traction during the day on Thursday. Some of you may know this, but for years it has been suspected, if not known, that Dan Snyder doesn't like the learners. That Dan Snyder, our current commander's co-owner and co-CEO, does not like the learners who own the Nationals, at least for now, right? The learners are selling at least part of the Nats. Uh, the Nats' managing principal owner is Mark Lerner. Uh, I, in 2019, remember being told by someone who would know that Dan was not happy about the Nats winning the World Series, that Dan was, you know, annoyed by the Nats winning the World Series. So this idea that Dan and the learners don't like each other has been out there for a while. But check out this excerpt from the David Pawkin deposition. Quote, question, you also mentioned an interaction with Mark Lerner. What are you referring to? Answer, this one is fairly embarrassing. Mark Lerner, prominent business, local business person here in the Washington area, now the owner of the Nationals, at the time, I believe, the Nationals. The Lerner family had a suite, or their business had a suite, at FedEx Field. And they also, as real estate owners in the Washington area, they happened to own some real estate around and near FedEx Field that we needed for parking. And we completed a business deal with the learners that, in Dan's view, was way too much money to pay, but we needed the parking. And this happened. The story I'm telling happened to me, and it happened to blank, and the blank is a name that is redacted, where Dan wanted to see Mark Lerner's suite, and we go up there to his suite. This was on a non-game day. And Dan asked me to pour milk on the carpet under the seating in Mark Lerner's suite so that the suite would smell like sour milk <laughs> when the Lerner family came in on game day. And he had blank, again, name redacted, do that on another occurrence. And so if you're asking me things I regret doing, that would fall under that category. I owe Mark Lerner an apology, but I did it because Dan told me to do it, end quote. How about that story? How about that? Dan Snyder, per David Pawkin, ordering the pouring of milk on the carpet underneath the seating in the Lerner family suite at FedEx Field. Now, I know that the learners can be tough to do business with. The learners have had that reputation for years. But of course, there's no halo over Dan Snyder's head when it comes to doing business. And that Dan did this, according to David Pawkin, ordering the pouring of milk on the carpet underneath the seating in the Lerner family suite at FedEx Field. Who does that? <laughs> I mean, what kind of a wacko does that? Cuckoo! Cuckoo! Yeah, seriously. You know, this is not the first time that Dan Snyder supposedly has used drink or food to get at someone. Perhaps you are familiar with the Mike Nolan ice cream story. Mike Nolan, uh, he was the Dallas Cowboys defensive coordinator for the 2020 season. He was the San Francisco 49ers head coach for a while, January 2005 to October 2008. 
He was the Redskins defensive coordinator from January 1997 to January 2000. The following is from John Feinstein's 2004 book, Next Man Up. This story is from the 1999 season, which was Dan's first season as owner of the Redskins. Quote, early that season, after a Redskins loss, Snyder told Nolan that his defensive calls were too vanilla. Like the other coaches, Nolan had figured out by then that trying to explain football to Snyder was pointless since he already had the game figured out. A few days later, a gallon of 31 flavors ice cream showed up on Nolan's desk with a note that said, this is what I like, not vanilla. Nolan laughed and sent Snyder a note, thanks for the ice cream, my kids enjoyed it. The first time it was actually kind of funny, Nolan said. I didn't mind it at all. The next time wasn't as funny. The Redskins lost on the road to Dallas and Nolan went into his office late Sunday night to start looking at game tape. When he arrived, there were three giant canisters of melting 31 flavors ice cream on his desk with another note, I wasn't joking, I do not like vanilla, end quote. Uh, That is a famous story, the Mike Nolan ice cream story. So when Dan Snyder doesn't like you, he uses a dairy product, apparently, to get at you uh, with Mike Nolan ice cream with Mark Lerner milk. Uh, Dan likes dairy products for some reason. I'm not, I'm not sure what that's about, but uh, Dan likes his dairy. Hey, Dairy Man Dan. There you go. There's a new nickname for Dan Snyder. Dairy Man Dan, the milkman, Dan Snyder. Uh, but this is the kind of lunacy that has been perpetuated by this guy. Unless you think that these stories are all made up, this is the kind of whack job lunacy that has gone on with our team for years. How ridiculous is all of this? How juvenile and dumb and absurd is all of this? There's a lot more to the David Pawkin deposition. Uh, He tells a story of Dan Snyder bringing what pretty clearly were prostitutes to Minneapolis in March 2001 for Maryland's trip to the Final Four. Uh, David Pawkin tells a story of Dan Snyder kicking a guy off Dan's boat. Uh, This guy, Norm... Sharit or Sharite, I'm not sure how you pronounce Norm's last name. The last name is spelled C-H-I-R-I-T-E. Uh, we'll call him Norm. Uh, Norm worked for the Redskins as their general counsel 2002 to 2005. Here's that story from David Pawkins' deposition. Quote, sometime after I left the commanders, I think it was somewhere between 2012 and 2014, that part of the decade, Norm and I had coffee at Katie's Coffee Shop in Great Falls, Virginia. And Norm told me this story where he had been on Dan's boat. I believe it was in Portofino, which is the Italian Riviera. And there were, there was a wild party on that boat with a lot of girls drinking. Who knows what else was going on? And it had gotten to a level where Norm was uncomfortable. And Norm, as he recounted this story, was counseling Dan that this could head south if we're not careful what's going on on this boat. Whatever it was, I don't know the details. A huge fight ensued, and Dan threw him off the boat that night and told him to get a plane and fly back to the United States. It was very troubling for Norm. I believe Norm was trying to be helpful to Dan, and as Norm's recounting the story to me, he was pretty upset by it. End quote. Now, I don't know if David Pawkin meant that Dan Snyder literally threw our guy Norm off the boat or just figuratively threw Norm 
off the boat. I'm assuming that the story is that Dan figuratively threw Norm off the boat. Although with Dan, I don't know. Maybe he literally did throw Norm off the boat. But whatever the case, there's another story of just how out there Dan can be. Now, of course, if you're Dan Snyder, your defense clearly is, hey, you know, these things happened years ago, all right? More than a decade ago. I'm a changed man. I'm a different person. If Dan is even going to own up to these things having happened at all. Maybe Dan says all of these things aren't true. And of course, the response to all of that would be, well, uh, what about the more recent alleged transgressions of Dan Snyder? You know, what about the harassment and intimidation of witnesses that happened during the Beth Wilkinson investigation. Uh, The harassment and intimidation of these witnesses didn't happen decades ago. The House Committee on Oversight and Reform on Wednesday morning announced Dan Snyder's, quote, efforts to discredit victims and witnesses by launching a shadow investigation to influence the NFL's internal investigation into workplace misconduct at the team. And quote, uh, you know, this was part of the issue with the statement that Commanders head coach Ron Rivera put out on Wednesday night saying change the culture check as if that's already been accomplished. Well, uh, if Dan was intimidating and harassing witnesses during the Beth Wilkinson investigation, that went down after the hiring of Ron as Washington head coach on January 2nd, 2020. So, you know, all of these things about Dan, I mean, a lot of them happened many years ago, yes, but there's apparently stuff that has happened within the last few years uh, that has not been so good and does not make Dan look very good. But you know what? Put aside what Dan's defense might be. Put aside what Congress's response to Dan's defense might be. Put aside the big news from the hearing on Wednesday that Representative Carolyn B. Maloney, chairwoman of the Committee on Oversight and Reform, announced her intent to issue a subpoena of Dan Snyder for a deposition next week. Put aside whether you think that Dan is ultimately going to be ousted as commander's owner or ultimately is going nowhere. Put all of that off to the side Take a step back and ask yourself this question. How nuts is it that we have had a guy like this as the owner of our team for more than 23 years now? I mean, no wonder the team has just two playoff wins since he bought the team. Dan Snyder bought the Redskins in May 1999. Here we are in June 2022, and we're having the conversation that we're having right now. You know, take a step back and just take it all in. The team since May 1999 has a mere two playoff victories. That is pathetic. The team remains without an 11-win regular season since the 1991 season. That is the longest such drought in the NFL. I feel like we can become numb and desensitized to how messed up it has been having Dan Snyder as owner of the team. These stories from David Pawkin to me crystallized just how screwed up it has been having Dan as owner of the team. This isn't normal, okay? This is so abnormal and not in a good way, and that we are where we are and that we're having the conversation that we're having right now. Don't just accept those things, okay? This isn't the way that things should be, and things don't have to be this way. They have never had to be this way. Up next, We talk actual Commanders football. A welcome on Commanders insider Ben Standig of The Athletic for the first of two conversations on this podcast about the most pressing items for the Commanders, from a football standpoint anyway, uh, as they are in the midst of their offseason break before the start of training camp 
on July 27th. We on this show will talk commander's offense, including whether this offense is about to be, as former Redskins quarterback Robert Griffin III tweeted this past Monday morning, quote, the most dynamic commander's offense in the last decade, end quote. Strong words. Uh, We'll get to that and more after this. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Well, as is always the case, I appreciate you listening to the Al Galdi podcast. If you have never rated the podcast, please consider doing that. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, you can give this podcast a five-star rating. Uh, Also, if you've never written a review of the podcast, please consider doing that. You can write a review of the podcast if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. Uh, The review can just be like a sentence or two saying uh, that you like the podcast and the ratings and the reviews help to make the podcast successful. And so I appreciate you doing them. Uh, So it is time to cleanse the palate (laughs) for us as Commanders fans. A lot of talk this week about the workplace misconduct scandal and Dan Snyder and Congress. And all of that is important. Don't get me wrong. But ultimately, we are sports fans because of sports. And so let us talk some actual sports about our sports. Let us talk some actual football about our commanders uh, as we are in the midst of the team's break until training camp, which will begin on July 27th. I'm very pleased to welcome back to the Al Galdi podcast, Commanders Insider Ben Standig, 
of The Athletic. Uh, he's joining me for the first of two appearances over the next week or so. Uh, we, on this appearance, will discuss the commander's offense as we have arrived at the break before training camp. And then we, on Ben's next appearance, will discuss the commander's defense. Uh, ben is the host of his own podcast, the Standing Room Only podcast, which just celebrated its 200th episode. Congratulations on that. You can follow Ben on Twitter at Ben Standing. Ben, how are you? Well, I'm good. You know, people. Some people like to say that I work. That they think I work hard. Blah blah blah. But then you're here, and I'm like, oh, that's right. I'm not. I, it's a reminder that I actually have to keep working harder to keep up with you. So, thank you for that reminder. <laughs> well, I don't buy that for a second. Uh, you have been killing it for the athletic uh, with your coverage of the Commanders, and so that's why we have you on this podcast. And I have a bunch of things that I want to ask you about. And I guess with the Commanders' offense. At the offseason break, uh, let's just start with what is the number one item right now, the Terry McLaurin contract situation. But I want to ask you about it from this perspective. Terry no-showing the three-day mandatory minicamp. I have to say, I am surprised that Terry ended up no-showing the three-day mandatory minicamp. A player no-showing an NFL team's mandatory minicamp is not something that happens often, and yet Terry did that. Whereas, say, Deron Payne did not do that, and each guy is entering a contract season, and as you have reported, the commanders aren't even expected to offer Deron a contract extension this offseason, and yet Deron showed up for the mandatory minicamp and even participated in team drills during the mandatory minicamp. He had not been participating in team drills during OTA practices. So what do you make of Terry no-showing the mandatory minicamp. Uh, that, to me, felt like an unnecessarily harsh step, but what say you? I think leverage is a good thing, right? <laughs> I mean, to an extent, Deron Payne doesn't really have any. I, I, I mean, he he's going to make, you know, over $8 million this year, so it's not nothing. McLaurin's under three. They both are going into the last year of their contract, so that's uh, you, you have the injury issue there but obviously for Washington like even if they traded Deron Payne they have a lot of defensive linemen that are pretty good if Terry McLaurin goes away we have a lot of questions about receiver and the market for that position went way way up etc plus he's also got the face of the franchise type vibe so there's a lot working on his side and I think they were I think they were fairly far apart from what I gather on the contract talks Rivera spoke I think it was last Wednesday when he made the comment that they've had more talks over, say, the last seven days. So I think prior to the start of minicamp, I don't think they were very close. So I, I think that from that perspective, that's why McLaurin wasn't there. It wasn't like they were on the cusp of something. Um, I mean, who knows? So we'll see how close they are. But, um, I, yeah, I just don't get the sense that I, – I just got a sense that they were not particularly close. Rivera's saying the talks are going fine. Sounds like he thinks they're getting closer, um, but we'll see. Yeah, it was it was a step though. I mean, it was not a it was a notable choice by McLaurin to skip. Yeah, I certainly thought so. Uh, I just hope that the Commanders get this contract extension done with Terry McLaurin before training camp starts, and uh, we can all move on um, because it's obvious that he should be locked up. It's just a question of getting a deal done. So Carson Wentz, it's funny, last year at this time, Rod Rivera was telling anyone who would listen that we were going to have a quarterback competition between Ryan Fitzpatrick and Taylor Heineke come training camp. Uh, this year, no such talk from Ron regarding the team having a quarterback competition come camp. We know that Wentz is the QB1. 
Is it also set in stone that Heineke is the QB2 and Sam Howell is the QB3? Or might there be a competition for that QB2 spot come training camp and the preseason? Yeah, I would say I buy Heineke as the two. Obviously, he he has the general professional experience, not to mention the experience in this offense. He's the one telling Carson Wentz things about this offense, um, you know, more than the other way around. I, I think Sam Howell has shown some good ability. I uh, He may have made the prettiest throw I saw all minicamp. He, he, he fed uh, Kelvin Harmon. Uh, he threw a ball over defenders and in between defenders, and it was a good strike to a guy right on the sideline. Perfect throw, and he made the catch. But he also looked kind of awkward in the pocket at times and looks like a guy who's, you know, the, the rookie the rookie learning curve is a real thing, and he looks like a guy that needs to get there. Um, I, I will say that there is a world, I think, where we're all at training camp and we're all tweeting, wow, Sam Howe's looking really good, and we're not saying much about Heineke, because a lot of what Heineke does well does not translate to these practices. And I think you could say the same thing for Hal because they both got that sort of gamer vibe, but Hal has a bigger arm, so he may stand out more. I would just say, like, if if my if you're if the bet is week one, who's the number two? I'm going to say Heineke. I'm not even thinking it's much of a thought. Week ten, and there's a reason to discuss who's the number two. Maybe that gets more interesting because at that point, how will have been around the team for a while. I, otherwise, I don't think there's much of a, a debate at this point. We're talking Commanders offense with Commanders insider Ben Standig of the Athletic, the Commanders offensive player who seemed to draw the most praise for what he did in OTA and minicamp practices was Jahan Dodson. Uh, as you wrote in a Commanders takeaways piece that came out on Monday, quote, there is no such thing as an offseason program MVP. If someone started that bit this year, Dodson takes the offensive honors at least, end quote. It has been exciting to hear and read all of the praise for Dotson. What specifically stood out about him? There is just like a smoothness to everything about him. Like, um, you know, e- even when there are rookies who stand out, like there's a certain raw element to them. You know, like, how you, you know, it's like, a, it's like, you know, watching a, um, you know, wa- watching a, a baby horse learning to walk sometimes. <laughs> like it's, like it's not, it's not every step is not always graceful. I thought with him though, I he really looked sharp the whole time, and and I'm sure there's things he needs to work on. And coaches would say, well, actually, you know, this, that, and the other. But just generally speaking, he was getting himself open. He was catching everything that was thrown his way. Um, there's no tackling, of course, but when he got the ball, he was quickly, you know, zigzagging around people and getting into space. And he's he delivers it all with a, a certain amount of maturity and poise. Uh, for you know whatever what is he 22 23 whatever age like that like just as a person forget he's an NFL player so I think there was just a lot to like now also there is no Terry McLaurin out there and Curtis Samuel was out half the time so it was an all eyes on this guy but uh, you know again I think for the general he he he, lo- he didn't just look the part he really seemed to go above that uh, that said again no pads the vets are you know <laughs> floating in and out of this thing to a degree uh, we'll see, you know, training camp will be another level even beyond, you know, of course, the season's another deal, but there's reason to be uh, optimistic, whereas, like, say, like, you know, like, I don't remember exactly what we thought about Jamin Davis last year, but clearly that guy was learning the ropes, and it was kind of obvious. This guy, he's already advanced past certain levels now, it's just a matter of how consistently does he do it when the, when the lights uh, turn on. Yeah, we'll see how the baby horse does uh, <laughs> once the lights turn on. 
Uh, so while we're talking receivers, Curtis Samuel, uh, there obviously is a sensitivity anytime that Curtis Samuel isn't a full participant in practice. Do you put significant stock into Samuel having not been a full participant in the commander's mandatory minicamp practices over the final two days of the three-day mandatory minicamp or not really? I think I'm protecting myself by just saying I'm not going to make a big deal about it. Because if I start thinking this is a thing, I'm going to yell at the, at the moon, right? I mean, last year was such a disaster with this. It's 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 totally reasonable to be skeptical when when Rivera is saying they're doing this out of an abundance of caution. You know, that was the quote. I was sitting him out because of he had some soreness and whatever. But any other player would be like, all right, sure, whatever. But with him, uh, you know, last year they didn't tell us about surgery that he got, that the guy had, and we had all this big mystery for weeks and months. That said, he's looked pretty spry when he's been out there. When he was, like the last couple of days, he wasn't even really sort of on the side field. He was just on the sideline watching uh, the practices. So it wasn't like he was getting like worked on. So I'm going to sort of just lean into the idea that it was precaution more than anything. But, you know, when we get to when we get back in, at the end of July, if he's on the side field for one minute, the alarm bells are going off again. Yeah, I know for me, I don't have the energy right now to get worked up about Curtis Samuel. We all spent so much energy last season on Curtis Samuel and the groin injury and when the guy was going to play. And I'm like, okay, here we are in June and we're going to mount that horse again. Like, I want to wait until at least late July, early August to get back on that horse. And hopefully we don't have to touch that horse uh, this coming season. So this is the time of year, of course, in the NFL for hype and hope and optimism. That said, there is a good bit of positivity regarding the commander's offense for the 2022 season. Are you buying into that positivity? Or do you think that the commander's offense is being overhyped? Not unlike the Washington defense was overhyped last offseason. Are you saying that because a certain quarterback tweeted that this is like the greatest offense of all time or whatever he said? He didn't say that, but he said this is the the best the most weapons that this group has had in a long time. I'm talking about RG3. Yeah. Like that, right? I mean, that's part of it. He's not the only guy to say something like that, though, recently. But yeah, I mean, you know, he's talking about best offense for the team in a decade. And, you know, I know others are very bullish on the offense. Look, I am too. But I'm trying to say to myself, like, didn't we just dance this dance last year with the defense? So I'm trying to check myself. Like, do we all just maybe need to calm down? Yeah, I mean, right now, I oddly have more questions about the defense than the offense. I mean, we don't know when Chase Young will be back, and the depth questions at all three levels is pretty pretty stressful, to me at least. And then, you know, where's Jamie Davis going to be and all that stuff. Meanwhile, on offense, you know, whenever McLaurin comes back and you have a healthy Samuel and Dodson and a healthy Logan Thomas at some point and those three running backs, boy, I mean, that really is a lot to work with. And the quarterback gives you a high, gives the offense a higher ceiling because of his just size and arm strength and things like that. That said, it's also to me sort of impossible to just be completely bullish on the offense, knowing the Carson Wentz questions. I know Ron Rivera told me he doesn't have any, but I mean, I still do. And uh, you know, the last uh, the last two days of mini camp that he was really a full participant in. I mean. I'm not, I can't see the tape. We're on the sidelines. You don't, we don't know what the play calls are, all this, all this thing. He, he didn't have McLaurin, Charles Leno, a bunch of stuff. Okay, all that said, he was pretty errant with the balls. I mean, it, the, the, he, it was the most off he looked. And I had Logan Paulson on my podcast that after the second practice, and 
he was pretty blunt about it. He's like, look, Carson Wentz came in with questions about how he deals with pressure. Sometimes does he, how does he deal with phantom pressure that he thinks something is happening and that's leading him to some bad decisions. He's like, we saw some of that out here. Um, Logan was saying that like with Duran paying back in team drills with Montez Sweat out there, that the defensive line was getting more urgent push than they were maybe during OTAs. And perhaps that was affecting Wentz. Again, he didn't have, they were down tackles and things like that. Uh, Chase Riesel not playing all that. But, um, that, that's a big question, right? I mean, we can sit here and say, hypothetically, Carson Wentz is an upgrade. But there are questions. A lot of people out there who think he stinks, and they may be completely wrong, but <laughs> there's a reason why the Colts are like, yeah, we're good. And I know some of it was about off-the-field matters, but at the same point, you don't throw, you don't give away a quarterback for relatively not much if you think he's all that and obviously they didn't and i think that's that's why like as much as i want to say there are, there's reason to be optimistic with the offense and there is it easily could go down the drain if wentz uh does not overcome some of the concerns people have yeah this right now feels like a high variance commander's offense could be really good but i don't think anybody would be stunned if the offense wasn't that good so we'll see but the offense does offer hope the offense does offer promise and uh i'm certainly hoping that that Hope and promise are delivered upon. Ben Standing, Commander's Insider for The Athletic. Uh, thanks so much for joining us for this conversation about the Commander's offense, and we look forward to having you back on the podcast soon to talk Commander's defense. Have a great weekend, man. Anything for you, uh, Mr. Galdi. Appreciate it. All right, so we on Thursday night have the 2022 NBA draft. Uh, there were a lot of reports and rumors about what our Wizards might do, including trading for a veteran point guard. We had heard a lot about that. We heard about uh, Monty Morris of the Denver Nuggets. We heard about Malcolm Brogdon of the Indiana Pacers, the Virginia product, Malcolm Brogdon. Uh, we heard about Mike Conley Jr. of the Utah Jazz. We heard about DeJounte Murray of the San Antonio Spurs, all kinds of scuttlebutts out there about what the Wizards might do regarding making a trade on NBA draft night. Well, the Wizards ended up not making any trades uh, and just staying with the two picks that the team had going into the draft, picks numbers 10 and 54. Now, the Wizards still could end up trading for a veteran point guard or for any of a number of other players, but the Wizards on Thursday night did not make a move. Uh, the Wizards on Thursday night took Wisconsin guard Johnny Davis with the number 10 pick and took center Yannick Zosa with the number 54 pick. Uh, look, Johnny Davis is not going to get people super excited in terms of having some massive upside. I mean, he may well just be your backup to Bradley Beal moving forward, but there are things to like about Johnny Davis. And while this may be another one of those solid, high floor, low ceiling type Wizards draft picks. I think this is a guy who can help. So, I mean, I guess if you wanted the Wizards to swing big, they did not end up swinging big on Thursday night. That's for darn sure. And Johnny Davis is not going to be selling tickets, uh, but Johnny Davis can help the Wizards win. So he's listed as being 6'5 and 196 pounds. He played at Wisconsin for two seasons. He was the 2022 Big Ten Player of the Year and the 2022 Associated Press Big Ten player of the year. Davis in his 2021-2022 sophomore season at Wisconsin started all 31 of the games in which he played. He averaged 19.7 points per game and 8.2 rebounds per game. Johnny Davis is a very good 
rebounding guard, and rebounding was a big problem for the Wizards this past season. Now, uh, the two big concerns with Johnny Davis, he's not a great shooter. He, this past season for Wisconsin, only shot 30.6% on threes. Anti this past season for Wisconsin had more turnovers than assists, 71 turnovers versus 66 assists. He was Wizards president and general manager Tommy Shepard in a press conference late night on Thursday night on drafting Johnny Davis. I think for our team to be able to, to get to that next level, it's just adding depth and, and what he's able to do with his command of basketball out on the floor. He, he understands the game very well. He's a quick learner. Uh, very across, we couldn't find a coach who couldn't compliment him enough about his basketball IQ, his character, but certainly his athleticism. I think he's an underrated passer. I'm going to continue to say he's a great passer. He didn't pass a whole lot in college, so I'm trying to encourage him subliminally to pass a little bit more. But I think he's going to be able to score different levels. I think he's excellent. Um, he's a great teammate, and that really resonated. When, when you really talk to a lot of people, as we do, that resonated uh, quite a bit on him as well. But the talent is there, and that's what we're excited about. With the 10th pick, I think that's somebody we could add to this team and is going to be a, a very big contributor pretty quick. Yeah, now here to me is maybe the thing to like about Johnny Davis more than anything. He is tough. Uh, you do not win Big Ten Player of the Year, as Johnny Davis did this past college basketball season, without being tough. You can't be a wuss and win Big Ten Player of the Year. Uh, Johnny Davis is no wuss. Uh, you know, Tommy Shepard in his pre-draft press conference on Monday said that the Wizards need more dogs. Uh, they do need some more dog. They need more toughness. They need more grit. Johnny Davis should provide those things as well as providing defense. And, you know, Davis seems to be a player actually interested in playing defense. Imagine that. Uh, defense, of course, is something that the Wizards have lacked for like forever. But if you caught Johnny Davis's interview with ESPN on Thursday night, he flat out said that he wants to bring a defensive mindset to the Wizards. I loved hearing that. Now, of course, it's one thing to talk about defense. It's another thing to actually play good defense. The Wizards for years have talked about playing better defense, but the Wizards for years have been lacking sorely in playing good defense. Here was Tommy Shepard late night on Thursday night on Johnny Davis's defense. I think we're going to ask him to be one of those guys who can certainly cool some people down. But I think the, the, the raw material is certainly there. I know the demand will be from day one. That's what we're going to look for. But that we wouldn't have taken him if we didn't have confidence he could be an excellent defender. Yeah, the Wizards for the 2021-2022 regular season, a mere 25th out of 30 NBA teams in team defensive rating, which is points allowed per 100 possessions per NBA.com. The top two teams for the 2021-2022 regular season in team defensive rating, by the way, the two teams that played in the NBA Finals. Number one, the Boston Celtics. Number two, the Golden State Warriors. Funny how that works. Uh, now, I don't personally get too caught up in positions in basketball anymore. Uh, the phrase positionless basketball has become overused, yes, but there's a reason that that phrase is overused because the phrase is true. The phrase is valid. Like, that is what basketball is now, positionless basketball, for the most part, anyway. Here was Tommy Shepard late night on Thursday night on whether Johnny Davis will be a one or a two in the NBA. We had a game tonight. He could go between the one and the two pretty easily. I have great confidence in our backcourt. Bradley can handle the ball. 
both positions seamlessly. And the, the idea for us, and I think Wes will build on this to your question, ask him of that, is that we're going to try to have three ball handlers out there. We're going to try to really keep it wide open. When you got KP and Bradley, capable scorers, and you put Kuz out there, Pope out there, now you got Johnny, another guy who can fill it up a little bit. I, I think it's exciting to do that, and the fact that he's a good rebounder kind of augments uh, some of the other things that we expect from him. So we're excited. It's on draft night. Everybody's undefeated. Everybody's excited. I genuinely are. I, we genuinely are. And um, can't wait to welcome him here, but let's get to work. All right. So Johnny Davis, not a sexy pick. Not going to get people overly excited. There's a lot more to the Wizards offseason than just this Johnny Davis draft choice. But I do think that Johnny Davis can help out the Wizards. And, uh, you know, this is a team that needs all of the help that it can get, especially from a defensive standpoint. And if Johnny Davis helps the Wizards play better defense, then that right there makes this pick a solid one. Uh, As for what the Wizards did in the second round of the 2022 NBA draft, uh, the Wizards took center Yannick Zosa with the number 54 pick. So this is your classic draft and stash pick. But this actually, to me, is a very smart pick. I I would actually comp this to what the Commanders did in taking North Carolina quarterback Sam Howell in the fifth round of the 2022 NFL Draft in this way. So Sam Howell last year was viewed as the potential number one overall pick in the 2022 NFL Draft. The Commanders ended up getting Howell in the fifth round of the 2022 NFL Draft. A great value pick. Well, Yannick Zosa last year was viewed as a potential top 10 pick in the 2022 NBA draft. Now, he ended up falling all the way to pick number 54 because he was disappointing this past season. Uh, Yannick Zosa spent the previous two seasons here playing in the Spanish ACB. But still, this is a guy oozing with potential. And to me, in a second round, you take a swing on someone with major upside, I have no problem with that. Yannick Zosa is just 18. Yannick Zosa is listed as being 6'10 and 200 pounds and with a 7'4 wingspan. So you talk about a potential rim protector. You talk about a rim runner. This is a guy with a lot of ability. Uh, He is from the Democratic Republic of Congo. We're probably not going to see him play for the Wizards for a while, if ever. You never know with these draft and stash guys, but uh, I had no problem with the Wizards taking Yannick Zosa with that number 54 pick on Thursday night. Well, if you are an Orioles fan, you have been suffering for a while. Uh, The O's from September 2017 through last season were a really bad team, lost a lot of games, and I mean a lot of games. But the theme of this 2022 Orioles regular season so far has been that the O's are showing actual tangible signs of coming out of the rebuild. And what happened on Thursday night was another one of those signs, a 4-0 win at the Chicago White Sox in Game 1 of a four-game series and in a game in which a number of young, promising Orioles players delivered. As yes, Joe Angel, the O's, were back in the win column. And the Orioles again in the win column. Yes, Joe, the win column. Uh, So the O's in this 2022 regular season now are 32 and 39, but let's break that down. The O's since a 6-14 and 14 start are 26-25. and 25. The O's over their last 51 games, not a tiny sample size, have played at a better 
than 500 clip. Uh, like I said, a number of young, promising Orioles players delivered on Thursday night, beginning with Adley Rutschman. Uh, another good game for him. He has been much better lately off a really rough start as a major leaguer. Rutschman on Thursday night as the Orioles starting catcher and number six batter, two for four with a two-run homer and an RBI double. Uh, Rutschman in the Orioles' two-run fourth, a one-out two-run homer on a bomb to right field for a 2-0 Orioles lead, and for his second career Major League regular season home run, the homer went a projected 402 feet for StatCast. Rutschman in the Orioles' one-run sixth, a one-out double down the right field line for a 3-0 Orioles lead. Adley Rutschman in this month of June now is slugging 483, and that's even with him having started the month just 1-for-17 with a single. O's manager, Brandon Hyde, during his post-game session with reporters on Thursday night on Adley Rutschman. Two huge hits, obviously with the with, with the, uh, the homer and the and the double, and then just missed that ball that was last at bat as well. So swinging the bat extremely well. Um, he's getting more comfortable in the big leagues. He's starting to see more. Johnny Cueto is a tough matchup um, for young or veteran type hitter, and how he changes speeds, changes delivery, messes up with your timing. He's got plus plus command of all you know multiple pitches, and so I was really impressed with how these at bats. Rushman, is it just a question of him getting used to it as a rookie? I mean, it, you're looking at the last 12 games or so. Yeah. Any young player, he's really talented, and and um, you know there's, there's always an adjustment period in the big leagues, and he's going to have his ups and downs. But you know the, the, the guy's got a ton of he's got big time tools and a ton of abilities. You saw the power tonight. Um, and he's going to humble. You know he just got a shutout as a rookie. It's the second one I think in a week. Uh, so you know he's in a great. Yeah, so Adley Rutschman is having a good month of June. Also having a good month of June is Ryan Mountcastle. And he on Thursday night, as the Orioles starting first baseman and number five batter, went three for four with two doubles and a single. Uh, Mountcastle now in this month of June, batting average at 321, on base percentage at 365, slugging percentage of 679. Yeah, Mountcastle this month is slugging 679. Uh, also, for the O's in their 4 nothing win at the White Sox on Thursday night, Dean Kramer was good for a third consecutive start. Kramer on Thursday night, five and two-thirds scoreless innings. Now, he did not have a single clean inning. He put a lot of guys on base. Kramer gave up seven hits, three doubles, and four singles. He issued a walk and a hit by pitch, but he did record four strikeouts, and he did throw strikes. Uh, Kramer over 93 pitches, 60 strikes versus 33 balls. But what I think stands out more than anything for Dean Kramer on Thursday night is that this was the kind of game that would have gotten away from Kramer last season. The game did not get away from Kramer on Thursday night. And Brandon Hyde agreed with that during his postgame session with reporters on Thursday night. Absolutely. You know, it it was... That's four good starts in a row for him. Um, really, you know, I'm really happy for and encouraged by, by how he's throwing the baseball. Um, thought he had multiple pitches going tonight. He had confidence. He attacked. He was on the plate. I don't think he walked a batter. Uh, he walked one. He was, he was forcing contact. That's a pretty good look club and a good lineup and, and uh, mixed pitches extremely well tonight. Yes, he did. Dean Kramer was on the 10-day injured list from April 11th, retroactive to April 8th, to June 5th with a left oblique strain, but he now has an ERA of 171 over four starts 
in this 2022 regular season. This off him having been really bad last season. Uh, this season is Kramer's age 26 season. The O's acquired Kramer from the Los Angeles Dodgers in the trade package for third baseman slash shortstop Manny Machado in July 2018. Very encouraging to see Dean Kramer be so much better, at least so far this season, as compared to what he was last season. And then the Orioles bullpen on Thursday night was great again. Three Orioles relievers combined for three and a third scoreless innings with six strikeouts. Felix Batista, Dylan Tate, and Jorge Lopez, three guys who've been so good for the O's so far this season. Batista on Thursday night, one and a third scoreless innings, three strikeouts, lowering his ERA for the 2022 regular season to 152. Dylan Tate on Thursday night, one and a third scoreless innings, lowering his ERA for the 2022 regular season to 187. And then Jorge Lopez, he ended up being a fireman on Thursday night, came into the game in the bottom of the ninth with runners on first and second, one out, and the O's leading 4 nothing. Lopez proceeded to record two strikeouts for the final two outs of the game, struck out the White Sox's numbers, one and two batters, Tim Anderson and Andrew Vaughn, on a total of seven pitches. How good has Jorge Lopez, how good has Lopi been so far this season? Lopez now has an ERA of 0.77 in this 2022 regular season. The O's now in this 2022 regular season are number six in the majors in relief pitching ERA 314. Also, some really good outfield defense for the Orioles on Thursday night. Austin Hayes in right field, another outfield assist. Cedric Mullins in center field. So, like I said, a lot of encouraging things for the O's in this 4-0 win at the White Sox on Thursday night. Game two for the O's at the White Sox. Friday night at 8-10, former Nationals pitcher Austin Voth will be the Orioles' starting pitcher. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. The weekend, always a good time to catch up on anything that you may have missed. Lots of great guests on the podcast this week. On Tuesday's show, episode 340, talk Dan Snyder, the commanders, and Congress with Stephanie Weisenberger, a sports law, entertainment law, and intellectual property attorney. And I discussed the Angelos family feud, whether the Orioles are about to be sold, and the future of the Masson dispute for the Nationals and the Orioles with Jeff Barker, reporter for the Baltimore Sun. Uh, on Wednesday's show, episode 341, spoke with Pro Football Focus Vice President of Research and Development, Eric Eager, on why he is optimistic about the Commanders in the 2022 season. And I, on Thursday's show, episode 342, had an in-depth breakdown of the congressional hearing on Wednesday on the Commander's Workplace Misconduct Scandal via a chat with Neil Mullen, a lawyer who practiced labor and employment law for three-plus decades and is an adjunct professor at George Mason's Antonin Scalia Law School. Great perspective on what's going on for the Commander's with Congress and now this looming subpoena for Dan Snyder. Monday show, episode 344. We'll have plenty on the Commanders. We'll talk Nats and O's as well. The Nats this weekend have a three-game series at the Texas Rangers. The O's this weekend have the final three games of a four-game series at the Chicago White Sox. Have a great weekend, and I'll talk to you on Monday. Cuckoo! Cuckoo! This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, 
and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.